Chapter 11 of the story tells the story of the shepherd king, King David. And it said of David that he was a man after God's own heart. There's another story told of a Jewish boy, not King David. In fact, he wasn't a king at all. He was just a Jewish boy growing up in a Jewish home in a little town in Germany. He he was a little Jewish boy who profoundly admired his father. He he watched how his father centered centered the life of the family around the piety and the devotion prescribed by the synagogue. And... In his teen years, this boy and his family uh, were forced to relocate to to another town in Germany. And when they arrived in that town, ready to start their new business, there was discovered that there was no synagogue in town. In fact, this was largely a Protestant community. All of the business leaders within that community were a part of the same church, a Lutheran church. And this boy, along with the rest of the family, was shocked when Dad came home one afternoon and announced, we're now Lutheran. What? They said. No, we're not Lutheran. We're Jewish. And the father explained, no, not in this town. In this town, anybody who wants to make it in business has got to be a member of the Lutheran church. From now on, we're Lutheran. A little Jewish boy was so bewildered and disillusioned by uh, his father's duplicity, he never quite got over it. In fact, as he grew older, he went away to school, uh, was educated in Britain, and there in the British Museum began to pin a worldview that has shaped our world as we know it. It was, it was a worldview that was based on the fact that everything works simply by economics. It was an amoral theory of how the world came together. This particular thinker that has affected so many said that religion is the opiate of the people. You probably have heard of that little Jewish boy who grew up to be that man. His name was Karl Marx. Can hypocrisy, duplicity, a lack of integrity uh, be something that affects someone even beyond their own life? If we're uncertain of that, God is really clear. He, He had called Israel to be His people To be a people that so reflected his character and his nature to the world that it would be distinctive. A distinctive draw, a distinctive attraction that the whole world might be drawn to God by the way they lived peculiarly like God. Right? And yet these people, they want to have a king like every other king and be people like every other people. It was completely against God's plan, but he humors it for a while. He chooses Saul, sets up Saul for success, but Saul's lack of integrity soon shows itself. And God, knowing the consequences of that, a king said to be the king of the people of God, representing him falsely, misrepresenting him really in the world, Saul was an impulsive king. He was a greedy king. He was a king like most other kings in his day. 
corrupted by power like most other kings of his day. He was a good guy. He just wasn't godly. He followed his own prerogatives. And because of that, God realized if he was going to have a people led by a leader, the speed of the leader, the speed of the team, that he needed a new king, a king that would represent him with integrity in this world and lead his people uh, aligned with his desires, his hopes. So God, in this chapter, tells uh, Samuel that it's time to look for a new king. And as God seeks a king, what is he looking for? Someone a head taller than everyone else like Saul was? Instantly popular, good looking? What was God looking for? Here's the story that tells us exactly what he was looking for. This is your story. This is my story. But most of all, this is the greatest story ever told. This is God's story. said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health, and he had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. This is the one. And that was an important thing to get straight because God had told Samuel that God had chosen one of the sons of Jesse to be the next king. But there's eight of them, right? Eight sons. And, and so Samuel gets there, and all the sons are lined up. And from the oldest to the youngest, all of them are there except one, the youngest. 
David. Jesse's, the father's own word for that one, the reason he's not here, well, you know, surely it's not going to be David. He's the runt, you know. Good translation of what the, what the Hebrew is there. He's the runt of the bunch, uh, the youngest. Surely it's one of these. And, and Samuel walks in, and he sees Eliab, the oldest of the sons. And he, he just looks at this guy and says, surely this is the king. You know, can, can you do that? Can you walk into a bank and tell when the president walks through? You know what I'm talking about? Can, 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 you, can you watch uh, a football team in practice and pick out who the captain is? Uh, Samuel just takes one look at Eliab and goes, well, here he is. Here's the next king. And, and God cautions him and says, no, no, no. What, what does he say? It's for pe- people look on the outside, but the Lord does what? Looks upon the heart. Looks at the heart. But the truth of the matter is, we've all made Samuel's mistake. We, we've all sized somebody up by first impression, by how they looked on the outside, and then discovered later, whoo, big surprise, Right? I'm the only one. Anybody else ever been there? Ever, ever done that? I, this morning, I want us to talk about that for just a second with each other. I ask you this. Is there someone who you at first, uh, first impression, first glance, had one thought about? You, you made an assessment. You created a, a judgment. You, 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 you framed who they were just from that first impression. Only later on to discover, man, was I way off. Right Now this morning, just in case that person's sitting next to you, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to identify who that person is. You know? but, but this, when you think about that person, uh, how did they end up being different than your first impression? That could be anybody. You know? but, but how could they be different than the first impression you might have had of them? Okay, Turn to someone next to you and, 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 and talk about that for just a second. And after we've processed it, we'll go on with the message. Okay, You've got about three minutes, three or four minutes.
So what are you discovering? What, was, it, was it just a little difference? A, a little shade of difference? Or, or was it dramatically different? How, how, many, how many of you heard someone describing a first impression that was dramatically different than, than what they discovered later on? And, and how many of you heard differences that were, eh, a shade of difference? Yeah? yeah? It can be really off, isn't it? The majority of us have had that experience where the first impression was completely off. And, it, and if you look at this particular passage of Scripture, uh, no one sees David the way God sees David. Nobody. Samuel didn't. You know, and, and this hurts, you know, e- even when those in your own family don't see you the way God sees you. Right? Some of us have those kind of tapes still playing in our heads. We know what it is to be the runt of the family, the black sheep, the one that will never amount to anything, the one that's too stupid. Whatever it is, whatever those labels are that have been put on you, it seems to me that David would have been one of those kind of guys that grew up with those labels just coming at him all the time. And yet God sees something completely different. How, you know, my, my dad's never called me the runt. Thank the Lord. You know? But we all know what it is to have been so often overlooked by others. To just make the conclusion that God must overlook us too. Who would we be that God might have a, a purpose for us? Want a partnership in life with us? Jesse, his own father, called him a runt. Eliab, his older brother, apparently the one that everyone else looked up to. When, when David then comes to... Uh, the war front with the Philistines, he's been told by his father to take some, some uh, vittles for the rest of the, the boys who were there fighting. Three of his brothers are there fighting with, with Saul against the Philistines. And this happens to be that Philistine war where the champion of the Philistines, Goliath of Gath, comes forward and taunts the armies of Israel saying, you know, send me your champion. And whichever one of us wins, uh, they become the master of the other people as their slaves. Give me your best shot. And then he would taunt the Israelites. He, he, he would, he would uh, disparage the name of their God. He, he would call them runts. Hmm. Sometimes I wonder if that's what especially got under David's skin. Eliab called David an impulsive one. Well, what are you doing here? You couldn't take care of even just a few sheep you had to look over? Uh, you're just a thrill seeker here to see the fight. You've got no purpose here. You've got no role. What? I just asked the question. Who was that guy down there in the valley? That's what I'm, What's the deal? Eliab didn't think anything of him. And then, then he overhears... Others overhear what David says. Who who is this Philistine that he would taunt the armies of the living God? Well, nobody had talked like that in the camp recently. They saw that nine foot seven inch dude down there in the valley, and everybody was shaking in their sandals. Right? 
Everybody but David. Was it just his youthful hubris? Was it because he didn't know better? Maybe Saul didn't realize he was just a kid. 16 years old. When he said what he said, but Saul comes, calls him in and gives him an audience with the king. Could this be our champion? And Saul's own opinion of David is, you're just a youth. You're still an ah, yeah. What difference could you possibly make? And this Goliath guy, he's been a warrior, a trained warrior, a killing machine since the time of his youth. You are not able. And David, I, he just lets that roll. He had a great way of turning a deaf ear to voices that were not the voice of God. And, and, and David's response is, is not, oh yeah, I am able. Do you remember the story he tells? I think it's an insight into why God, when he was searching for someone to be his king, saw in this 16-year-old boy, and it was earlier than this, he says, Lord Saul, when, when I was a, a shepherd keeping my father's sheep and uh, the bear and, and the lion came and tried to take away one of the lambs, you know, it, it was a defining thing between, between a good shepherd, Jesus said, one, one that defends the sheep, and, and one that runs away in self-interest whenever it gets tough. Even Jesus seems to refer back to, to this kind of heart when he's describing himself as, as the good shepherd. But, but David doesn't go, glad they just took one. He was a kid, and he goes after the lion. He, he was just a kid. But take one of my sheep, bear, you're going to have to deal with me. David had one of those kinds of hearts that was all in. He would go for it. And he learned in going after the bear and going after the lion. And, and he said, I love the word. It just, it just sounds like something out of Braveheart. And I smote them. You know? He, he smote the lion and he smote the bear. Uh, I, I, you know, I can see some smoting going on in my head right now. He just, just he took them out. And, and, and he rescued this defenseless lamb. If you were a God looking for a man, that's a man. Would that not be the kind of heart you look for? Someone who doesn't run away from a challenge, but with confidence in God, takes it on squarely. And this is what David said. It's not because I'm so fierce and I took out the lion. It's not because I'm so strong and I took out the bear. But the Lord who delivered me from the bear and from the lion, shall deliver me from this Philistine Goliath of Gath. He was bold based on the trust that his God was bigger than any giant he would ever face. And when God looked at this little kid, he saw a giant killer heart. And he said, I pick you. I pick you. David's courage was a courage born of trust in the living God. And when he heard Goliath taunt that God, he knew he was aligned with that God. 
And when David was all in, he had discovered that God would go all out. Most people see the difficulty in every opportunity. David saw the opportunity in every difficulty. Most people would have said, he's too big. He's too big to kill. David said, he's so big, I can't miss. With a heart like that, it was courage born of trust. David's was an integrity refined over time. Are you aware that David, though he was chosen almost secretly, it was, it was almost a, a family secret, uh, Samuel went and anointed him king at the age of six, not anointed him king, anointed him God's chosen. That's what anointed means, really. Chosen one. Those two words in, in Hebrew are one word. Messiah. David was God's pick. God's chosen one from the time he was 16. But Samuel did that secretly. Samuel did it secretly because he thought if he went and and chose someone at the next king, that Saul would kill him. It was really out of self-interest. But God said, you know, anyway, it, it was a secret. And so from 16 until 30, when he's made king, David lives... With that chosenness. And you, my friend, are chosen. You are God's chosen people. A royal priesthood. A people for God's own possession that you might proclaim the glories of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You are a chosen people. You are a people with a calling. Do you understand? Most of your life, you're challenged to believe in God. And once you do, you discover that God believes in you. He believes in Himself working through you and in you. And the you that you can become when you recognize this God is your Emmanuel, God with us. And from that day that he was anointed the chosen one by Samuel, it says that God was with him. But for 14 years, he's in this time of refinement. And some amazing things surface in the heart of David as, as, as God shapes him. In a, it's kind of like the Joseph story. Remember Joseph? Uh, thrown into prison, uh, disowned by his family. And God just keeps molding this Joseph's character so that someday he might be a fit ruler for all of Egypt. God knows how to take and make kings of them. One of, one of David's attributes is clearly seen. His, his defending heart, I think, was one of the reasons that the Lord loved his heart so much. Saul, who continued to be king, and uh, an impulsive king, uh, saw any uh, rivals... As, as a threat, and David had been so successful in going into battles and leading God's people that, that the ladies would sing in, in the uh, celebration parades, David has killed his ten thousands and Saul has killed his thousands, and Saul didn't like that math. It made him look bad. 
And Saul said, well, what's left for this kid but to, but to become the king? He had no idea what Samuel had done. But in his own heart, he felt, he felt jealousy towards David. And it, it was a difficult time for David. He was actually hunted down by Saul as, as one to be wiped out as a rival to the throne. And one of the most penetrating windows into David's heart is when he, with his band of warriors that were defending him and for whom he was the champion, were hiding out in a cave in Engedi. Saul went looking for David with thousands of men. And he stops in the cave, had some business to do in there. Let's say it that way. He had some business to do in the cave, you know. Long journey, no quick trips. You can figure it out. Uh, he stops in the cave, and, and, and while he's in the cave, uh, David slips up on him, ninja style, and cuts off the corner of his royal garment. And, and all, of da- all of David's friends are saying, get him, get him, kill him right now. He's in your hands. God has delivered him, obviously, into your hands. Wipe out this king and let's take over, right? And it would have been... David's prerogative to do so. But David proves himself in that moment one that's going to put God's prerogative above his own. He says, how can I raise my sword to the Lord's anointed? In David's mind, Saul was the last one to be chosen king. And he would honor God's choice. Even if Saul would not honor God's choice of him. And something happened within those men that were galvanized to him, maybe for the promise of what they might experience warring with David. In that moment, they became loyal beyond the rewards. They became loyal. If he's a man like that. You know, it's rare that you find the people that have the kind of heart that you would walk through a wall if they told you. That you would bloody your nose on that door until it opened. But David was made of that kind of stuff on the inside. And he won that kind of loyalty from others on the outside. Because he was a man after God's own heart. He, he, he was a one, one who defended God's priority even over his own. He was one that danced before the Lord. Do you remember that story? He comes back into town. He's leading the Ark of the Covenant. It's being restored to the people. And he's dancing before the ark of the Lord. This is a guy who, who knew how to worship. And, and he was going all out. Remember, David? All in or nothing. That's the way he was. And, and he, he was dancing before the Lord like a madman as he came back into town. And Michael, his wife, who also happened to be the former, well, she was the daughter of King Saul. She, she, she knew how kings were supposed to act. At least how the world defined it. And she saw David dancing, outdoing himself as he's coming into town. You know, here comes David. He's doing, he's doing the, the uh, moonwalk. And, and, and uh, you know, he, he's dancing to his heart's delight. And she says, oh, aren't we distinguished? Aren't we dignified? You, you dance like any vulgar fool. And, and do you remember David's response? Uh, it's so good. Uh, You'll, you'll find it there in uh, chapter 11. Uh, oh, David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me 
rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes, but by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. I will celebrate. You know, when you know what you stand for, it's hard to be anybody's doormat. When you know who you dance for, and if you dance for the Lord, you'll never be anyone's fool. Who do you dance for? Whose applause do you seek? Do you know what it is to live with an audience of one? To have his voice, even when it's a still small voice, drowned out all those other voices around you. David had that kind of selective hearing about his heart. He danced before the Lord. David had an incredibly devoted heart. It seems that when you love God like David loved God, he was always looking for the next opportunity to love God more. He was all in. And because he's all in, he keeps going all in. Have you noticed that about this life with the Lord? That you, nor you, the more you know about him, and the more you know about yourself, there's more love to be given, more dedication to be laid out. And David says this, he says to Nathan one afternoon, he says, you know, I'm here, I'm living in this palace, in this big, beautiful cedar palace, and the Ark of the Covenant is down there in the tent that I originally raised for it. How is it that I can live in a palace, and God and his presence with the Ark is, is subjugated to a tent? I will build a house of glory for the Lord. And Nathan thought in his own mind, what a great idea. And then he looked into God's heart, and this was God's heart. He said, no, David, you will not build the temple. And most people, you know, I I didn't catch this before. At the same time, God said, you shall not build a temple. Your hands are stained with blood. I will raise up someone else to build the temple. Did you notice that at that same time, God also said, you will not raise up a house to me. I will raise up your house. Because I recognize the heart with which you want to bless me, I will not let any of my kids out-bless me. You ever tried to out-give God? I won't stand for it. You will not build me a house, David. Because you have had this kind of heart, I will build up a house to you. I will... I, I, I will use your legacy, and in you will be one who was born to be a king whose kingdom shall never end. God is saying, you so represent me in the world, you so well point to me, that from this stream shall come the one who points to me perfectly forever. Jesus is saying, you've been my Messiah now, but the Messiah for all time is coming And I honor you this day by saying he'll be a son of yours. When we go all in, it frees up God's hands to go all out. May God give all of us 
a heart like David. And when we have that heart, man, we, we will mirror the Messiah. Do you have a heart like that? <clears throat> I'm thinking of several ways that we might apply this message. Some of us <clears throat> some of us need to see as Samuel. Perhaps in these stories we, we, we find the motivation to quit judging everybody else by the cover. What would it mean for you to look in the lives of those around you and ask God to show you how God sees them? I bet you wouldn't use the word runt anymore. Who, who do you know in your life right now that's going through a season that they need someone to believe in them? To see them as God sees them. To be like Jesus with Peter. Lord, I'll, I'll go to death with you. No, Peter. By the third call of the crow, uh, 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 of the horn, you, you, you will have denied me three times. Surely not, Lord. Peter, Satan has wanted to shift you like wheat in his hands. But Peter, I have prayed for you. And when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. You think God doesn't see the ways that your life sometimes crumbles in its faithfulness? But God sees you the way He sees all His children, sees you the way He sees Peter, sees in Peter the fact that Peter will horribly betray Him and yet still believes in Him. And I'm here to tell you, that same God still believes in you. When you go all in, He goes all out. Who do you need to believe in that way? Some of us need to seek a Samuel. Some of us need to find a, a Jonathan and a Nathan, Nathan, someone else in our life who will be such a true friend that will speak God's encouragement to us as Jesus did to Peter. Some of us this morning may be challenged to come out of wherever we've been in our complacency or to step forward from our compromise and say, God, I've been all in. I'm all in again. There comes that place, I'm told, in the game of poker. I've never played a whole lot of poker. <coughs> Where someone says, I'm all in. And all the chips are pushed to the... It's all risked, Right? It's the most dangerous move you can make in poker, from what I understand. I'm all in. But if you're making that move with God, it is the most certain move that you will ever make. Because when you go all in, he goes all out. Maybe that's your choice this morning. To go all in. David kept praying the prayer, kept singing the psalm. Search me, O God. Know my heart, and if there be any wicked way within me, illuminate it, correct it, turn it around. Let me bring it to you so that I can walk and be guided in your everlasting way. It's not that we're perfect. It's that we're willing again and again to go all in and be perfected. It's not that we have confidence in our own ability. It's that we have confidence in God's ability. 
All in. All in. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we pray this morning that we could have a heart like David's. That courageous, that willing to be won by your own faithfulness to us. That you might inspire faithfulness from us in return. Lord, it's so easy for us this morning to, to hear the old tapes play. Oh, you'll, you'll never change that. You'll never break out of that stronghold. You'll never overcome that tendency. You'll always know. Not when we're all in. God, this morning, help us to trust in you enough. Your desire to mold us to be like Christ enough that we can bring all that we are to you. David wasn't a perfect man. He had his failings. But when he fell, he would fall again and again into your arms. Lord, thank you for offering us that safe place this morning, that place to begin again, that place to go all in, that opportunity to be that kind of grace speaker to one another. We come to you, Lord God. Embrace us this morning until our arms are strengthened to embrace others with that same grace. We're all in, Lord Jesus. We come to you. This morning, if you want to just say to the Lord, I'm all in. Don't care that there's a Michael in the crowd. Don't care that someone else is going to say, oh yeah, real dignified. You going up to the front, you bowing at an altar. You not holding back the tears. There's an audience of one here today. And his opinion of you trumps every other voice that could ever speak. Do you know that safe place? That place where you're all in? He invites you to that place in him this morning. The choice is yours. Do you have a heart after God's heart? Come to this altar. Let God continue His transforming work in your own life. Leave here a more certain partner of God than when you came. It's His invitation. You come if your heart is moved as we stand and sing. Amen.